This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 251, and we are recording on September 29th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and all things pumpkin and maple flavored. Yes, I made chili. <gasps> it has begun. <laughs> I have to make. I haven't made my first batch yet because I'm trying to decide if my first batch will be my favorite recipe or will I try mm. a new one? Like these oh. are the important chili questions oh, that goodness. are happening right now. So, man. I could see arguments for both. I was going to make quarantine arguments for both. Yeah. <laughs> like you need do the comfort thing. Right. We, everyone needs that. But also we no one can travel or whatever. So like, why not try something new? Right. Right. So we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know y'all care a lot. Uh, okay. So welcome to the show where we talk about books as well as chili. chili. Uh, <laughs> if you, this is a reading recommendation show, as I said at the top, if you would like to send in a request for a reading recommendation, you can do that either through email, getbooked at bookriot.com. Or you can drop your question in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site. It's there for every episode. And you can send in time-sensitive requests if you want, but please write time-sensitive, all caps, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, plus the date you're hoping to hear back by. If we don't get to it on air by that point, we might send you an email response so you can keep an eye out for those. And you can send requests for, you know, books for you, books for a friend or a relative, maybe things about traveling because, you know, that's the thing we can't do right now, whatever it is that you're looking for. And we will do our best to find you your next great read. All right. So before we get into today's show, we have some feedback. Rebecca wrote in, and thank you, Rebecca, for this, uh, to correct my mispronunciation of Métis, which is how the author Cherie Demoline identifies, but I've been mispronouncing it, so I I very much appreciate you. I think that was me. Uh, Well, I definitely did it, but you might have done it too. We have both said this wrong. (laughs) Yes. So thank you for that and for the background on the use of the word. It's very much appreciated, Rebecca. Let's see. Uh, We have some listener recommendations as well from Mel. For the listener who wanted new picture books for her four-year-old, Mel highly recommends The Pirate Cruncher by John Duddle. That just is the best title. (laughs) I I, don't know what it means and I kind of want to. Um, And then Mel also recommends for the listener who wanted to satisfy their wanderlust, eat, pray, love style, anything by Isabella Bird who was apparently an unmarried woman who traveled the world alone in the mid to late 1800s. She wrote about her travels to her sister, and her letters were published in newspapers and later turned into books. I definitely need to look Mm -hmm. this woman up as well. That sounds great. All righty. So let's do some questions. I'm going to read our first question, and then we'll take a sponsor break, and then we will get with the recommending. So our first question is from Nia, who says, I am a 15-year-old, and I love reading young adult contemporaries, but most contemporaries have the romance factor in them that I don't like. 
Can you please recommend some non-romantic but funny YA contemporaries? All right, let's take a sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so funny, light, why <laughs> contemporaries with zero romance? This question turned out to be almost impossible for mm-hmm. me. I can't believe how hard this ended up being. I went through, I can't even tell you how many books I went through. Amanda, I think you've gotten closer than I did. (laughs) Do you want to talk about your pick first? Yeah, I had the same problem where I can do one or the other. I can recommend you a lot of funny YA and a lot of non-romantic YA, but never the twain shall meet, apparently, on my bookshelf. That was hard. So I took this to the contributors and Tirza gave me a great recommendation. It's called Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kistner. And Tirza runs our Book Riot YA Instagram account. So if you're looking for more recommendations of great uh, YA, you can go follow that account. All of the recommendations up there are from her. It's just at Book Riot YA. Okay, so Six Angry Girls is about a girl named Raina and a girl named Millie. And they're kind of older teens. I think Raina's in her senior year. And things are like going pretty well. And then everything falls apart. Her boyfriend breaks up with her for someone else. She's got a lot of drama in the drama club. Hey, <laughs> and they like kind of kick her out. She does not end up being able to go to the college that she wants to. And then Millie, who is also going to the school, has her own issues. She like is really dedicated to the mock trial team. But then the mock trial, she's like the only girl on it. And then all of these boys decide to take the team in one direction and by default end up kind of kicking her out. 
And then at home, her father really treats her very poorly, kind of like a servant. And so through an advice columnist, which is great, Raina takes up knitting and goes to her local yarn store in order to get supplies for that and starts to realize and realizes that knitting could be like a form of political protest. So Raina and Millie meet um, through a series of like events that all, some involve protest knitting, which is like the greatest, <laughs> the greatest thing a book can possibly be about. I've discovered protest knitting. Like I love it so much. And Raina inspires Millie, like convinces her that the thing to do is to start her own mock trial team. And then they become this pair of like protest knitting, mock trial, smash the patriarchy teenagers. Um, and they recruit a bunch of other girls. Uh, it's a super, super diverse cast. Really, really funny. There's a bit like... Some of the side characters have a, a touch of like a romantic thing going on, but it's not the two main characters that you get to know from the beginning. And it's certainly not like the focus of the book or anything. So I think you can, whatever. I, I don't think it's going to bother you any. So that's Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kistner. Yeah, I, gosh, I, I looked through so many recommendations for so many pe- from so many people. And the thing I really realized is that everybody has a different definition of what no romance means and what funny means. <laughs> because I was like, mm. well... To me, this is has romance in it. And it was a recommendation that somebody's like, oh, there's none in this one. And then another one, somebody was like, this one's really funny. And I was like, wow, this is dark. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's super subjective, which is fine. Um, but it left me sort of in a weird place for how I wanted to recommend this question. So, Nia, I decided to focus on the non-romantic. I am giving you, it's not a contemporary and it's not super funny, but it has literally zero romance in it, which seemed to me to be the heart of your question. I could be wrong, though. So I'm, I acknowledge that possibility. So Forest of Souls by Lori Lee is a fantasy YA about a young woman named Sersha who is planning to become a royal spy which is a thing that I love reading about. And she's been training really hard. She is, I think, an orphan. She doesn't really have family or really hardly friends even. Um, And she's at this, like, academy doing special training with the queen's current spy master. And she is, like, determined to win this position and be like a badass spy assassin, even though there are all of these obstacles in her way. Things, of course, go awry. Uh, She and her best friend are part of this like military. They're all at this academy. They're doing these military exercises when there is an attack by a group that her like their country is at war with. And her best friend dies. But then Sersha accidentally brings her best friend back to life. Whoops. And it turns out that Sersha has this power that is not unknown, but it is greatly feared. A little like Shades of the Bone Witch by Rin Shipeko in here. Um, but differently inspired. This one is, I think, more inspired by uh, there's some Korean mythology involved. But anyway, so Sersha has these powers and now she's like on the run with her best friend trying to like find allies and figure out what's going on. There's this huge political mishmash conspiracy. Um, There's a lot of action. It's really page turnery. I love the world building. And this is 100% a friendship story. Like that's it's the first in a series. So who knows what will happen in later books. But in this first installment, it is all about friendship and sisterhood in a really satisfying way with lots of action. So again, I know you wanted contemporary funny. I think you might enjoy this for different reasons. So if you're open to broadening your criteria a little bit, give it a try. Again, that's Forest of Souls by Lori M. Lee.
Okay, our next question is from Jenny, who says, I'm a dedicated reader now and when I was a kid, but I went through a phase in my teens and 20s when I couldn't be bothered. This makes me so mad now because think of all the books I could have read. What it really means is I missed out on some of the had-to-reads because my couldn't-be-botheredness extended to my homework as well, so there were big gaps in my reading life. To be perfectly honest, this email is based on the fact that I just saw the trailer for the Rebecca movie coming to Netflix, so that one is on my list. I have read Pride and Prejudice, Frankenstein and Dracula, I love To Kill a Mockingbird, and Tale of Two Cities, and also The Yellow Wallpaper. I tend towards sci-fi fantasy and magical realism in my regular reading. I don't mind scary or gory, and I'm really not here for sad, sweet old people. <laughs> That's like a very specific thing to not be here for, sad, sweet it old is. people. It is. Okay, um, I picked 1984 by George Orwell, which does have some torture in it, so I'm just going to put that trigger warning out there. Because it seems like you're looking for like classics that were taught in school. I read 1984 in school. I'm also giving this the asterisk, all the asterisks of, this might be a little on the nose for you or anyone right now all things considered. You don't say, you know, like where in the world you're located. But if you're in the US, I don't know, this might be a little too close to home. So if if that's going to bother you to read something that is like very similar to the headlines, then maybe give it a a, a pass. But since you like science fiction in your normal reading, this is such a a foundational like sci-fi novel, one of the, you know, most famous that I really think that you might enjoy it. So it's about a guy named Winston who lives in a like alternate, I mean, it's not an alternative future now, but when it was, when the book was written in 1949, it was an alternative future where World War II ended very differently and the world has been divided into these, I think three, I don't remember if it's three or four, um, kind of mega countries. And the one Winston lives in is in like where the UK used to be and is very, very authoritarian. And he works in a department that is designed to rewrite history. So he pulls up old newspapers, removes clips that counter what the current administration is saying actually happened and changes them. So if anybody goes to look up old newspapers, it matches the story that the current administration is, is putting out there into the public. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of torture. There's a lot of war. And he, through a series of events in the, in the novel, comes to start to resist this authoritarian government and goes to a lot of lengths to uh, maintain the secrecy of his resistance because it's terrifying. And then that it just like does not go so well. Orwell wrote it based on the Soviet Union, what he saw coming out of the Soviet Union when Stalin was, you know, in charge. But uh, I don't know, like a lot of it, every political like wing of any party uses it as like a bludgeon to be like, well, this sounds familiar when you think about the other side or whatever. And that's been said about this book since it was written. But I really do think that there are shades of reality in it now, <laughs> like that have to do with what, what's happening now, especially the part about Winston's job and rewriting truth. And like so much of the book is about the erasure of objective reality and how authoritarians use that to control populations. So yeah, just a real like classic of science fiction, even though it feels more like an autobiography. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so that's 1984 <laughs> by George Orwell. I'm gonna leave that one alone now. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell that we're having some feelings today? My pick is also perhaps slightly on the nose. It's very on the nose. (laughs) I'm sorry, not sorry. It's Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. This book, if it's not already, I believe will be taught in schools and is a modern classic of the genre. And yeah, it just recently hit the New York Times bestseller list, which is amazing considering how long ago it came out. And, you know, it's a shame that it took uh, a posthumous new edition for Octavia Butler to get on the New York Times bestseller list. But she did it. And that's amazing. So this book is the first in a two book duology 
that takes place in 2025. Uh, it was written in 1993. Yeah, 93. So, you know, Butler was very prescient in her imaginings. So the main character, Lauren, uh, lives in the outskirts of Los Angeles. But this is a world in which, like, there are enclaves that are still relatively safe. But there's, you know, climate change and wildfires and water shortages and war and drugs and and all of the bad things. So, like, notes for all that their trigger warnings for this book include rape and harm to children and just like really tough stuff. But it's about Lauren who has been cursed, blessed with hyper empathy. Like she really feels the pain of others, which is a really intense thing to have in this kind of world. And Lauren and her family are fire destroyers the compound. Lauren is forced out into the world with a bunch of other refugees and has to like figure out how to live. And she basically starts her own religion that is based around this empathy that she experiences. And it really is a story about what community means in times of struggle and how to hold on to empathy when you are surrounded by pain. And like, I honestly can't think of anything more relevant to our lives right now. Mm -hmm. It's amazingly well written because Octavia Butler was an incredible writer. And yeah, but it is it is extremely on the nose for what's going on right now, um, which just goes to show like our problems aren't new. We are, you know, they're just our current problems and history is a cycle. But hopefully we can make some progress in this moment. So again, that's Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. All right, our next question is from Bree, who says, I recently read The Ten Thousand Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow, which led me to The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. I loved the beautiful writing style and the books as doors idea. I'm looking for more fantasy novels that give me the same feelings of hope and happiness and adventure and poetry and love, all the good feels. Bonus points for diversity and no sad ending, please. And a P.S. A million thank yous for putting red, white, and royal blue on my radar. So this is, yeah, there you go. Amanda pats herself on the back. <laughs> You're welcome. So this is basically the opposite of the last question. Amanda, what do you yes. have? I picked The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman, which, like, I love, like, weird fantasy books about books in libraries. are such, It's such a comforting subgenre. So I really love this question. So The Invisible Library is the first in a series. I think there are, like, five books out now about Irene, who is a professional spy for the library, capital L. And the library is not just a place to collect books. It's a place that collects books that are specific to different realities. So this is like a multidimensional kind of situation where there are like 14 Londons across a bunch of different time zones. And that applies to all cities and all places and all times. And so her job as a spy is to go into these various places and times and dimensions and collect books that are specific to that place and time and keep them in the library so that there is one housed record of all of, you know, knowledge <laughs> that has ever existed across all et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, places, times, like I said before. So she has a new assistant. His name is Kai. He's very cute and mysterious and like has secrets. S-E-K-R-I-T-S. <laughs> and she, with Kai, is posted, gets a new job to go to an alternative version of London. It's like very steampunky to collect a book. 
There, there are tons of wrinkles, wrinkles on wrinkles. One of the wrinkles is that there are magical creatures in this reality. So like vampires and fairies and all of that. Another uh, wrinkle is that the world that she's going into is becoming infested with chaos, meaning that the laws of nature are being kind of bent and screwed with to allow all these supernatural creatures to exist, which means that a lot of the tools that she has as a professional spy will not work or won't work well or things won't go to plan. Like you can't predict, you know, how physics is going to function sometimes. So it's, you know, it's a little complicated. So she has to go into this world, deal with all of that, also find this book. But when she goes and finds where it's being held, it's already gone. So someone's already taken it. And then there is a, a from her past comes a, a nemesis who is who is also in this world to get this book for his own nefarious reasons. Um, so there's a, it's like a mystery and an adventure. There's a little bit of romance. There's lots of talk about books and stories as, you know, the homes for all human goodness and all of that, which, you know, book nerds love, that kind of stuff. Myself included. Catnip. Yes, give it to me. <clears throat> so that's The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cockman. I picked The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert, which is much beloved by my SFFEI co-host Sharifa. And the sequel is recently out or coming soon. So that's exciting uh, if you are if you end up enjoying it. So The Hazelwood is one of those stories where there's books inside the books, obviously. I mean, that's what you asked for. The main character, (laughs) Alice, is 17, and she and her mom are, like, very itinerant. They're always, you know, traveling. They're always basically trying to outrun some very bad luck that they've always had. So they've been traveling a lot. And then Alice's grandmother, who is like a very reclusive author, who has written these dark fairy tales that are like sort of cult classics. The grandmother dies alone on her estate, which is called the Hazelwood. And then her mother is stolen by a person who claims to have come from the supernatural world of her grandmother's book. And Alice is just like, what is happening? That's not real. Where's my mom? She has wanted to have nothing to do with her grandmother's legacy. There's like a lot of fans who are super obsessed and she wants nothing to do with them. But now because she has to save her mom, she has to ally with a classmate who is a super fan of her grandmother's work and who may have like ulterior motives for wanting to help her. Um, And she has to go to this estate and then into the world of her grandmother's stories and it is it's I don't know that it's like necessarily a happy ending but it's a hopeful ending and there's more so I figured this was a good option for you so again that is The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert all right our next question is from Shri who says I've got two requests (laughs) Um, I have two separate moods lately especially now that we're creeping into fall request one a cozy read in the rain with a cup of hot chocolate while wearing flannel and petting your cat kind of book (laughs) This is very much a mood request. The world is crap and I need cozy fall vibes. I'm looking for a book from any genre except mysteries that is low on trigger warnings. It should have such a kitschy ending that you should be forced to lower the rating. Everything wraps up nicely and unbelievably nice fuzzy feelings. Topics to avoid. The end of the world. Disease. Despots, fires, and war. I feel this very deeply. Request number two, a book from the fantasy of manners genre. I've read Gail Carriger, Marie Brennan, Susanna Clark. Naomi Novik, The Glamorous History Series, and Catherine Addison. Okay, we split this uh, question. Yep. So I'm going to answer the first one, and Jen will answer the second one. So I'm answering the cozy, pet your cat, hot chocolate, no trigger warnings question. And my pick for that is The Switch by Beth O'Leary, which I feel like is my new red, white, and (laughs) royal blue. Like, this is the thing that I want everyone, 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 everyone to read, because it is so 
heartwarming <laughs> and like inspirational in the faith and humanity kind of way and super fun. So this is about a woman named Eileen who is 80 years old and her husband has just left her for another woman. What? So she's divorced. And her granddaughter, Lena, is in her late 20s and lives in London. Eileen lives in like a tiny little Yorkshire village surrounded by, you know, the same four old people who she's known for 50 years. All of them are super crotchety and the best. Like, all I want to do is go to her village and talk about Korea with them, which I don't, you know, like sit down with an old guy and talk about the Korean War. Like, this is what yeah. I want to do. Will a British man even care about that? I don't know. I would do it anyway. And then Lena, her granddaughter, lives in London. She has a very high-powered and high-pressure job that she has just, like, crapped the bed in. She had a complete and total panic attack in the middle of a really important presentation, and her boss is forcing her to go on hiatus for two months. And so what they decide to do is switch places. Eileen is going to go live in Lena's London flat with her, like, very fancy and stylish roommates and try dating because that's what she wants to do like her husband is gone she wants to try dating around she's going to try dating online in london where there are more than four old men who want to talk about korea maybe at her and lena is going to go to the yorkshire village where her grandmother's home is stay in her grandmother's home and like relax she is burned out she needs to like sit in a nice cozy house with a cat right and do the hot chocolate and the flannel and so they do that. They switch lives entirely. Eileen goes on this like lovely London adventure where she has like a little bit of really nice casual sex and also meets some nice people. And Lena goes to Yorkshire and rediscovers the like thrill of having of like knowing who your neighbors are, you know, and having uh, a romantic relationship with someone who actually cares about you and isn't just like a selfish jerk. And it's just so sweet. Everyone's story wraps up in the best possible way. Everybody gets what's coming to them, good or bad, in like the most satisfying ways. It's just, oh, yes. Oh, so good. Just mm, and making this like weird, I don't know, Italian pinchy finger thing, you know, that people do that like, oh, so good. <laughs> yes, that's the thing. So go. There you go. So that's The Switch by Beth O'Leary. I am very delighted to recommend some fantasy of manners to you. And I picked the... Well, it's The World of Riverside is what the series is called. The first book is, well, okay, <laughs> there are so many caveats to this. So the first published book in the series is Swords Point by Ellen Kushner, which is great. It is about a swordsman for hire who gets, like, you know, hired by nobles to fight duels on their behalf. And he and his boyfriend are, like, dealing with various things um, in their relationship. It's a very, like, medievally England kind of world. And he really wants almost nothing to do with the nobles aside from, like, taking their money. He's just like, pay me, I will win a sword fight for you, and then go on about my business. But he, like, crosses a line and now has to, like, figure out, was he set up? You know, something has happened that was out of his control, but his reputation is in tatters and he needs to earn money. So here we go. And then what I love that they I love that they did this. Ellen Kushner opened up the world of Swords Point to other writers and they have put out a bunch of stories in the universe that are actually prequels to Swords Point. And the writers include Elia Don Johnson and Melinda Lowe. And the stories are so inclusive and really expand this world from like a very sort of Britishy setting to include like 
spice traders and, you know, all kinds of different people of different classes mixing and mingling in the city that Swords Point takes place in, in high society in various ways. There's a lot of amazing queer characters, which you mentioned in your earlier request that you were interested in. And there's so much manner stuff going on, as well as like swords and magic and merchanting and just all kinds of cool stuff. So I think you're going to love playing in this world. So that's Swords Point by Ellen Kushner. And then the Tremontaine stories, I highly recommend Tremontaine, the complete season one, which, like I said, includes stories by Aliyah Don Johnson and Melinda Lowe, among others that are all woven together into this epic omnibus of goodness. (laughs) And now it is time for another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Fran, who says, I have set myself a challenge of reading a short story a day. I would love to hear about your recommendations for own voices stories, particularly from the perspective of BIPOC, disabled and or neurodiverse authors. What a good question. What a cool challenge. Um, Amanda, what did you pick? I picked American Indian Stories by Zitkala Sa, who was a Sioux writer who also went by Gertrude Simmons Bonin. 
um, who published this collection in 1921. And I picked it because I picked it up off a bookstore table because the cover was cool. And I thought that it was a modern collection of short stories by like a modern indigenous writer. Nay, nay, my friend. This is like a classic collection of essays and short stories and allegories from like someone I had never heard of until I'd picked it up. And I was so happy to find it. So, like I said, this was first published in the 20s in 1921, and Zikala herself was uh, taken, well, not taken, she actually volunteered to go to, uh, like, a, a white missionary school when she was a child. Uh, one of the missionaries came around to where her mother and her live uh, and gave, you know, the sales pitch that convinced this child, who was, I think, eight or nine when she left, that she, like, really, really wanted to go. So she convinced her mother to let her go, and then as soon as she got to the missionary school, she realized that she had made a pretty big mistake. They cut her hair off. They were like manhandling her, like, you know, trying to play with her, but in ways that she thought were like very insulting to her dignity that her mother had never tried to play with her. And then the rest of her her accounting of her experience there is very much about that tension between trying to maintain her ties to her traditional culture and trying to succeed in this like white world that she has found herself in. And she did eventually go on to become a pretty well-known writer in her adulthood uh, and stayed in Western civilization, one foot in Sioux civilization, one foot in Western civilization. Like she managed to do that. And it was always a source of tension. And so she's writing mostly about that feeling. And some of the stories are, you know, like autobiographical accounts of her time in the missionary school. Some of them are about her religious beliefs and the traditional religious beliefs she was taught. And some of them are just essays. So I know that you're asking for like short stories specifically, and there are a lot of those in here. But they are sprinkled in with essays. And I think that like I have a I have a hard time sitting down and reading a short story collection straight through, even if I'm splitting it up. But if there's essays interwoven into it, so it's like a break from the the fictional worlds that the author is uh, drawing, it makes it a little easier for my brain. So that's why I picked that. So that's American Indian Stories by Zit Kalasa. I am recommending a bunch of things. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yes, I mostly am recommending the Destroy series. So the Destroy series started with Lightspeed Magazine. And there were editors and writers who got together to do these, like, X destroys Y. So, for example, people of color destroy science fiction or destroy horror or fantasy. And then there was uh, disabled people destroy science fiction and fantasy. And these series is, like, obviously it's, you know, a tongue-in-cheek reference to the criticisms that some folks have about, you know, social justice and genre fiction, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just <laughs> I just love it so much. The, the stories are so freaking good. I've backed multiple of these on Kickstarter, but you don't have to have done that. Like, they're all available online. And Lightspeed and Uncanny Magazine are the two lit mags that have published various of these issues. I'm going to leave links to both in there. The most recent is the uh, Disabled People Destroy Fantasy, which is issue 30 of Uncanny Magazine. But like, seriously, what you should do is just like buy a bunch of these issues and then enjoy working your way through them because these stories are so good. They're so interesting. There's so much play involved. There are just amazing concepts, amazing writers and all of these and I like can't recommend them highly enough. Um, there are names you know, you know, Nello Hopkinson, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, and Daniel Jose Older were all involved in the People of Color Destroy series. Um, there are just so many 
I just, I like don't even know how to tell you how great all of these are. And Uncanny Magazine and Lightspeed Magazine both do good work generally, I do want to say. Oh, right. Sarah Gailey is in the Disabled People Destroy issue alongside a bunch of other great authors, including Toche Anyabuchi. Just like names you're going to recognize, people you're going to be excited to read, and all on, all own voices, all of it. So, you know, enjoy, like have fun falling down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I have links in the show notes to both. All right. Our next question is from Cooper, who says, I had a shower revelation the other day, in which I realized that many of my all-time favorite stories share one unusual thing. They all take place primarily underground or feature subterranean landscapes as a primary part of their setting. I love the ancient intrigue and mystery found in those dark alien places beneath us. So I'm looking for anything you have to offer that's mostly about the underground, whether it's a nonfiction account or horror or adult fantasy, especially adult fantasy, that would be cool. I'll take anything that orbits around this subject. Okay, I picked The Tombs of Atuan by Ursula K. Le Guin, and this is the second book in the Earthsea cycle. And I am waffling about whether or not you need to read the first one. (laughs) You don't need to you don't need it for like plot. You're not you're not going to miss anything if you don't, you know, read the first one plot wise. But the first one does give you a little bit of character backstory into a secondary character who is like the main antagonist in this book. So you'll get more like character development if you've read the first one. But if you don't feel like doing that, I think it will be fine to just go into book number two. So this is adult fantasy. And it's about a woman named Tanar who is uh, chosen to be a high priestess to the powers of the earth. Like this is all capitalized powers of the earth. And as the high priestess, she is stripped of her name, her identity, her memories, everything she owns. And she's basically locked up underground in the tombs of Atuan. And her job as the high priestess is to live out her entire life locked in these underground tombs and to defend them from anyone who would come in. There are like, you know, treasures and stuff and artifacts that are down in these tombs. And her job is to protect them, which she does. Sometimes people break in or get wander into the tombs and she kills them. And it's not like, she, you know, she, I don't know, mad, she kills them with magic, whatever. She just like lets them get lost, does not help, locks them into various rooms and does this job. And then while she is kind of trying to figure out what her life is going to be doing this thing that she has had, that she's had really no choice in, a wizard named Ged comes into the tombs to steal a ring that is like the greatest treasure hidden in the tombs. And so, of course, her job is to kill him. <laughs> like, And Ged is the protagonist of the first book and the antagonist in the second book. So it's a really interesting setup. Uh, but he is in there. He has brought magic, which brings a lot of light. And he knows he's an excellent musician, musician, magician. And he knows how to navigate his way around and how to survive down there. And they develop this like really fascinating kind of game of cat and mouse. He... Well, I don't want to spoil the ending for you. But like what happens to the two of them down under the ground is like, such a fascinating story. It's really, really fast paced, as is the first book. Our solo Gwen's really, really good at that. And it's a little, it's a, it's not designed to be spooky, but it's hella spooky. Like you were down in the dark with this woman as she, you know, I don't know. She's down there forever. It's just such a mind. Like my brain is like, ah, God, <laughs> it's terrifying. So that is The Tombs of Atuan by Ursula K. Le Guin. Hard cosine. I love all of the books, especially the later books in that series. So much, so much. 
I have a nonfiction for you because it is about a female cave diver and like what could be cooler. It's Into mm-hmm. the Planet by Jill Heinerth. And she is, and like this is a thing I don't know anything about, like renowned cave divers. Like I don't know, <laughs> but she is apparently <laughs> one of the world's most renowned cave divers. And my library hole did not come in in time for me to read any of this beforehand, but I am like obsessed with the description of this. And there are not that many women working in cave diving, as surprise. And, you know, so she she was the first person in history to dive into an, an Antarctic iceberg. What? And, like, she <laughs> has discovered remains of Mayan civilizations and, like, gone way deep into the depths of the planet. And so she's, like, telling you about her adventures and also, like, what it's like to be a woman in this very male-dominated field and, like, what it's like to lose a friend to cave diving. And so it's about the dangers and also the joys and the complexities and like working with scientists to, you know, discover various things, but also just going in for the adventure of it. Um, And I feel like if you just want to be immersed in what it feels like to be underground, like here's a woman who's, this is literally her profession. So that's awesome. (laughs) Again, that's Into the Planet by Jill Heinerth. (laughs) could not do could not do i don't know i don't have claustrophobia in that way but i don't love being in dark places for long periods of time either so i have no idea how i would do i really don't know i have no idea i will maybe someday find out but probably not okay (laughs) our last question is from laura who says i am looking for a read-alike for funny sad books from the likes of frederick bachman and maria semple i also loved eleanor oliphant is completely fine these types of books are hard to search for and there's something about either dark or tragic humor with hopeful warm notes that is really comforting to me and i can't get enough since I loved Where'd You Go Bernadette so much and haven't run into a book like it since, I also thought I would ask for other books that tell a great story through other documents or types of prose. Specific type of humor not needed for this recommendation. I love both elements, funny, sad, and creative format, and I'm looking for more creative format books as well. I don't usually read fantasy or magical realism, but I'm okay with quirky, strange, and weird. I'm just going to keep talking. So this book is... It is tragically funny. I'm going to say it. It's tragically funny and also told in a really different kind of structure. It's Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. And this book comes with trigger warnings for racism and prejudice within minority communities. This book is so funny in that like biting satire, like, oh, I'm I'm like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable about this kind of way. It is set in a world where like, the people in this book are living on a film set. Um, Willis Wu, who is the main character, like is generic Asian man in his life. He lives in this tiny room in Chinatown and he works at a restaurant called the Golden Palace where this procedural cop show called Black and White is always being filmed. And so he's like an extra and has to do humiliating things like fake a bad accent for a shot or, you know, wash dishes or get thrown through a window. And the way that this world works is that you aspire to be to be like, you know, a featured guest or like, God forbid, a leading role. Um, And the only, you know, sort of lead role for 
Asian Americans in this situation is to be Kung Fu guy. So like he wants to be Kung Fu guy. That's what he's like spending his whole life working towards. And if it means putting up with these crappy bit parts that are super stereotypical, then like he's going to put in the time and try to quote unquote better himself. And he actually manages to, like, get into the spotlight a bit. But then, you know, he finds out that, like, things aren't any better at the top. And this is a real look at what it means to be Asian American and to feel like no matter what you do, you will never fit in or people will never let go of the stereotypes. I mean, white people, let's be real here, will never let go of the stereotypes that they think of when they see an Asian face. It also tackles the tensions between different minority communities and the way that, for example, the Black and the Asian communities are pitted against each other by the way systemic racism is set up in America. And the whole thing is written in, like, screenplay format. Like, the whole thing is basically a screenplay. It's really fascinating. And I don't think many authors could pull it off. But Charles Yu has been writing in really interesting formats since the start of his career. His short story collection, Sorry, Please Thank You, is just like each story is a different kind of narrative structure. It's amazing. Um, And he also writes for TV. So like he knows how to do this and he does it incredibly well. And it is just it's such a weird and interesting and like I said, bitingly funny and creative and thoughtful book. And I think you'll love it. Again, that's Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Okay, I latched on to the like darker tragic humor with hopeful warm notes kind of thing. And I went with 2am at the cat's pajamas by Marie Helene Bertino, which I forgot existed until you asked this question, which is a shame because I love this book so much. It's really slim. It's like 250 pages. It all takes place over one day. And the main character's name is Madeline. And she is a nine year old whose mother has just died. And she lives with her dad, who is like kind of catatonic with grief and is of no use to her, you know, and she's a like, real smart mouth. She wants to be a jazz singer. Like she's just such a character with a capital C. And then we're also following Serena, who is a teacher who teaches fifth grade and has just moved back to Philadelphia after getting divorced. And she is supposed to attend a dinner party that night where like a big crush that she had from high school will also be there. So she's having all of these butterflies about like reigniting that potentially and rebuilding her life and, uh, you know, like nervousness about being around somebody who was cool in high school and all of that. And then also Lorca, who is a club owner who owns the Cat's Pajamas, which is a jazz club that he is probably going to have to close uh, unless he can come up with 30 grand by the end of the night. And so these are the three characters that we are following. Madeline is determined to get to the cat's pajamas where she wants to make her on stage debut at, at Christmas and kind of follow in her mother's footsteps. And so the three, the lives of these three characters intersect over the course of the day that we're following them. And it's just everyone, like all of those stories are kind of tragic, sad, right? Like this guy's going to have to close this club that's been his whole life. This teacher who's divorced and very lonely. And then this kid who's just lost her mother and is like trying to pursue a dream to distract herself. But it ends on like the hope builds over the 250 pages. And it's just one of those books that's like things are garbage and everyone in it is sad. (laughs) But humanity is awesome and pulls through in these small, beautiful moments and in these small, beautiful nights, you know, where we are together. And the kid has such a smart mouth. This kid, I'm not normally, I'm normally very annoyed by like precocious child narrator. It drives me crazy. (laughs) But this kid is awesome because she's a smart aleck and not just in the way of like, oh, she knows a lot of big words, but in this like biting, cutting, very believable kind of way for a kid who's living kind of a tough living through a tough situation and is lashing out, you know, in like self-defense. 
So it's much more believable to me. So that's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helene Bertino. I'll co-sign all of that. That was a really (laughs) sweet, sad, fun book. All right. That's our show. Thanks. Go out to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for suffering through all of our errors and then fixing them. Thanks go to all of you for listening. We so appreciate it. We also love it if you would leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find this show. And we do love to see the feedback. Thanks to today's sponsors for making the show possible. And you can find us on social media in between shows. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am also primarily on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>